Well, hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study during uh, the season of Lent here. I want to welcome our campuses over in uh, Appleton and Stevens Point. Glad to have you with us as well. I want to start reading to you from 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, starting at verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, along with some of the Mayunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, dude, or your highness dude, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. And it's already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi, which is mean they're almost here. The only thing worse than hearing that an army is coming to kill you is to hear they're almost here. Well, this freaks Jehoshaphat. He's alarmed, as one can well imagine. Uh, when these armies came, <clears throat> they came to kill everybody, to wipe everything out. That was their goal. They didn't care. Man, woman, child, goat, chicken. I mean, they were there to wipe everything out. Well, these guys freak, and Jehoshaphat resolved to choir in the Lord. Better pray. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So everybody's gathered together, and Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, and he starts crying out to God, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So he's talking about how uh, they went into the promised land and took over the promised land, the land that was promised to them, hence promised land. <laughs> All right. So you sent us here, and they have lived in it, and we've built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity ever comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we'll cry out to you in our distress, and you'll hear us and save us. That's what they'd always say. If anything bad happens, we will gather in this place, and we'll cry out to God to hear us. <clears throat> so that's why they're all there. And he says, but now... Here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. So they're coming out of Egypt. They're going to the promised land. They are a force to be reckoned with. They devour everything in their path. But when it came to these armies, God says, no, no, don't go after these guys. Leave them alone. Okay. So they left it alone. Uh, the judgment of God wasn't on them. So they ignore them, and came and took the rest of the land. So these are the guys you told us not to invade. Now see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. So these guys, regardless of what happened in the past, decide we're going to invade them instead. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Well, all the men of Judah, with their wives and children, little ones, they all stood there before the Lord as he's praying this prayer. Then the Spirit of the Lord 
comes on Jehaziel. He's the son of Zechariah, who's the son of Benaiah, who's the son of Jeel, the son of all, all these sons. All right? And he stood in the assembly. And he said, as he starts prophesying, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, it's a little confused if I'm there. I say, man, we're not going to have to fight in this battle. Oh, they're great. Let's go home. <laughs> you know, watch TV or something. Just relax. God's going to take care of it. No, no, no. The Lord prophesies to them and says, you need to get everybody together. You need to stand and you need to go out and face this enemy. But you don't have to fight. Why is that? Who knows why, huh? At some point, we all have to get involved in facing the things that come against us. Uh, just because you have to face a horrible circumstance does not mean God has abandoned you. Certainly not in this case. So even though God said, listen, we got this in the bag, you're cool, but you get all lined up, you go out there as a force and you stand to face these guys and I'll take care of the rest, says God. Well, that's what the prophet says. You do what the prophet says. Jehoshaphat bowed down uh, with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites <clears throat> from the Kohathites and Korahites, all these ites, stood up. And so I did some of these priests. They get up, and they just start praising God, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. Actually, it says, a very loud voice. Praise God! They get up, started getting real loud. Obviously, they didn't realize God doesn't like loud things in church. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful, because the prophet's the one who told them what the Lord was saying. So he still had to be, at some point, trust people to get this right. After consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So they get the whole army together, and at the front they put the choir. <laughs> Not sure what the choir thought about that. <laughs> but you guys get out front and sing. What? <laughs> so they start singing. Now it's really interesting. You will often hear people quote, you know, we do this, we say things, and we just... Not being totally accurate, but we'll quote this thing and say, remember that time the Lord told them to put the singers in front of the army? The Lord didn't tell them to do this. God didn't tell them to do this. He said, just go face them. It was their decision to go out and send the singers in advance. <clears throat> now, we're in this season of Lent, and we're talking about Christian disciplines. 
The whole point of the Lent season is for Christian discipline. It's typically a time of fasting. Now that is reflected in various ways. Sometimes people will just give up something and fast from that thing that they really like during Lent. That's where you get the phrase, you know, I gave up such and such for Lent. Some people it's coffee, and somebody it's this, that, or the other, I don't know, sugar. Uh, some people will say, you know, I'm gonna fast uh, lunch. I'm not gonna eat lunch the whole season of Lent, or I'm gonna fast one day a week, or whatever it is. And the important part of that, as we set out in the very first of these lessons, is that much of the Christian experience has to do with discipline. We are supposed to be the disciples of Jesus Christ. And as disciples, that means we need to discipline ourselves. One of the great ways about fasting, one of the great things about fasting, is it tells your body to shut up. Shut up, because your body wants the Snicker bars you eat every day that you gave up for Lent. Or whatever it is that you gave up, you can't wait, because you know, your coffee, you're gonna die, I'm gonna die, but no, you're not gonna die, tell your body to shut up. All right, this is the good thing about Lent. <clears throat> so these disciplines, now there's, we're focusing on various parts of disciplines. Uh, the one I wanna talk about tonight is the discipline of praise and the discipline of thanksgiving. Giving God praise and thanksgiving. These guys are in a life and death situation. This is no small deal. I mean, as we're going to war, I'm really hoping that the prophet got it right, <laughs> right? There's this whole thing they're doing is because the prophet said, well, this is what the Lord says. I'm thinking, how do you know what the Lord says? <laughs> yeah, but he's the prophet. So we're going to go follow what this guy says. So they go into this battle. They're not really prepared for battle, but they're going to go face these guys. And I'm sure that in the midst of this, the greatest thing screaming at them is fear. Wouldn't it be for you? I mean, you're about to face the most horrifying army that these guys have ever seen. These, these three armies combined together are like a plague of locusts, and they're eating everything in its path. And they think because we've joined these three armies, we're going to really take over everything. We're going to go take care of these Israelites and everybody else they wanted to take care of. So they're going to face these guys. They know without a miracle they are doomed. They're toast, all of them. And in the midst of this horrible situation, they are filled, they have to be filled with fear. How do I know that? Because the first thing Jehoshaphat says is, don't be afraid. <laughs> Why? Because they're afraid. That's a normal thing, right? You're going to be afraid. So Jehoshaphat needs to come up with some, what can we do to tell our emotions to shut up? All right, we're talking about discipline here. Fasting will tell your body to shut up or whatever. Well, now this is beyond the body. This is the mind, the emotions, your soul freaking out. So he knows the best way to keep your emotions in check is to enter into praise and to thanksgiving to God. Because when you start to learn to really praise God, especially when things are very bad, it tends to calm you. It calms the soul. We're seeing, so these guys say, we need to shut off this ah, freaking out. And they put... The singer's in front, and they're going out, and they're singing songs, and they're praising God, and they're giving thanks 
unto God. Give thanks to the Lord, it says, for his love endures forever. So they're going out, they're singing at the top of their voice. They're just, and during this singing and stuff, it causes your brain, the fear, to silence because now we're focusing on God. We are praising God. So, Pastor, I, I, I don't like to praise God sometimes. Well, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> that's why it's called a discipline. We often don't think of praise as a discipline, but it is. It's something you just got to force yourself sometimes to do. Praise God. Thank God. But my life stinks. Yes, we know. We acknowledge your stinky life. Praise God anyway. Be thankful to God. Stop and think about it. Which do you think is more effective, to praise God when everything's going good or when everything's going bad? Well, clearly when everything's going bad, it's easy to praise God when things are going good. Man, you got a big raise today? Praise the Lord. Somebody gave me a brand new Cadillac. Praise the Lord. Oh, I won the lottery. Thank you, Jesus. Don't forget the time. So, <clears throat> so we're all excited. When, ah, praise God. Oh, yeah, everything's going great. The doctor says I'm not sick anymore. It's a miracle. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, praise is basically thanking God before you get your answer. Does that make any sense? So it's easy to wait until you have the answer and then to say, thank you, God. But what he wants to do is get us to a place where we'll go, thank you, God, before we get the answer. Because it calms fear. It calms fear. It reminds me, this is a I don't know how long ago I've told the social as many times over the years, but many, many moons ago, back when we were first married, back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth. And uh, I remember one time we were in, you know, <laughs> living hand to mouth. Everything was a disaster, you know, everything went wrong. And uh, I remember we were like, it was either a hundred or two hundred dollars short. But, you know, 1,800 years ago, that was a lot of money, okay? And, and we were freaking out. And when you don't have a lot of money, it's still a lot of money, even today. You need 200 bucks, you don't got 200 bucks, it's a lot of money. And I was freaking out. And I just remember just freaking out. And uh, we're very young, you know, probably 19 at this point, maybe 20, I don't know. So anyway, I remember calling my mom, God bless the moms, because sometimes they pull our butts out of the fire. And... I called my mom, how you doing? I said, I'm freaking out. I said, well, I, said, I need, I need $100 or whatever it was. I think, I think it was $100. And of course, she just kind of giggled because to them, that was nothing, you know. She said, well, don't worry about it. I'll send you the $100. I said, oh, thank you. Thank you. And immediately, my tension went down. Immediately, the fear is calmed. Now, what had changed? But I hadn't got the money yet. I still didn't have the money. I was still $100 short. I was just trusting mom. Now, can you imagine if I, mom would have said, listen, I'll send you the 100 bucks. I go, well, how do I know you're going to really send it? <laughs> I've been waiting here for an hour and a half. The money isn't here yet. Where, mom, where is it? Dude, relax. I said, I haven't been to the post office yet. Mom, you said you were going to send it right now. Well, she'd probably call the medical facilities and they'd give me some medication or something. But you certainly would have been insulted, right? 
If you tell somebody it's going to do something, and three minutes later they call you and say, well, where is it? You're not here yet. All right, that's a little insulting. And it's easy to get that way with God when we want our answer, and the answer's not here yet. We start yelling at God, hey, where is it? When what we ought to be doing is thanking him in advance, knowing that he's a God of his word. Just like he would say to mom, thank you, because I knew she'd do it. <laughs> and she did, praise God. So anyway, that is the idea behind praising God and thanking God as a discipline. So what happens? Verse 22, as they begin to sing and praise, well, the Lord goes to work. He sets ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. He basically confused them. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. You know, the, they talk about the fog of war. I mean, I'm sure I've never been in war. Uh, you know, I've watched war movies. No, but it's not the same. And, uh, you know, to actually be in it, can you imagine how crazy and insane and loud? I mean, the confusion. That's why they talk about friendly fire. At some point, you start shooting everything and anything that moves, right? Well, these guys are in this battle. They can't tell exactly what's going on. They run into, three armies are coming, two run into the one, they freak, and they start killing the one because they're totally confused. Well, God did confuse their heads who know what they were thinking. And then after they killed that group, then the two turn around and killed each other. And after slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. So they all went nuts. And they're all killed. So by the time Israel shows up, everybody's dead. Which I got to tell you, if I'm going to war, I would greatly prefer by the time I got there, everyone would be dead already. So when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. Oh, that had to be cool. Where's everybody? They're all dead. They didn't even see what happened. They just showed up and there's already the dead bodies there. Wow, so this is cool. So um, uh, Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, which is what you do if you defeat an army. In their case, they didn't even have to do anything. They just went and got the plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment, and clothing, and also articles of value. Uh, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took them three days to collect it all. That's how big this army was. Three days just to pick all the good stuff off the bodies. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. And they started celebrating and thanking God for this great victory. It's a great example of the power of praise, being put in praise, the discipline of praise and thanksgiving into action so that it calms your fears and helps you focus on God. Uh, we also have a great example of this in the New Testament, in Acts, the 16th chapter. Verse 16, it says, Once we were going to the place of prayer, where we met, were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She had a special power or whatever. Well, she follows Paul, the apostle, and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, were they servants of the Most High God? Yes. Were they telling people how to get saved? Yes. Well, why did it irritate him? I'm sure she was being really obnoxious about it. Everywhere they went, these men are servants of the Most High God, tell you how to get saved. These men, and this goes on and on, and it's driving them nuts, okay? So she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed with her, constantly at them, 
that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, it took, it took them days before he got that irritated. I think I would have been irritated after an hour or two of this. But just days and days. And finally, Paul can't take it anymore. He turns and rebukes the spirit. Why he didn't do it earlier? I have no idea. Sometimes God actually uses your human irritations to get you to do the right thing. That's good news for those of us who get irritated from time to time. All right? So, then at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized their hope was making money was gone because she wasn't possessed by the spirit anymore, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice, which was not true. They're just lying. Well, the crowd joins in. They're all in a lather. They join in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Ow! Now, assume that hurts. A lot. It says, after they had been severely flogged. Now, it's bad enough to be flogged, but after being severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. So get the picture here. These guys are trying to serve God. They're doing the right thing. And as a result of them doing the right thing and even setting this lady free, they get the snot kicked out of them. And I mean they are beaten. We're not talking somebody made fun of them or poked them with a stick or didn't have their friend on Facebook anymore. We're talking about they took them with rods and beat the living tar out of them. That had to hurt a lot. And then after getting the snot kicked out, they threw him into jail. They were thrown into prison when the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stock. So here they are in a great amount of pain, in a great amount of discomfort. Their feet are in stocks. They're bleeding profusely, I'm sure, from this great beating. And you would think they would be incredibly discouraged. How would you not be discouraged after a day like that? But it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I bet they were. Listen to these guys. They're little nuts. <laughs> they're singing. They're thanking God. They're Why? Because they're putting into discipline the discipline of praise and thanksgiving. Even after a horrible terrible day when most of us would have been crying and screaming and yelling at God, why did you let this happen to me? Instead, they force their minds to calm and they start to sing songs to God. And I love the next verse. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. <laughs> Very cool. You know, much of the psalms that we read and sing, and we put two songs, some of these phrases that David said about praising and thanking God, uh, often we don't take the whole context of those psalms, because quite frankly, it would make a lousy song. <laughs> we just like to take the little rhymey part about praise the Lord for he's kind, or whatever the deal is. All right, but if you put them in context, uh, David is writing out of pure, unadulterated frustration and misery. 
Psalm 13. I'm sorry, Psalm, Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You ever feel like that? Feel like God's hiding from you? You think, God, why are you hiding? Well, you're not the only one who has ever thought that. David thought this. He asked God, where are you at? Where are you? Why are you keeping so far away from me? Why are you hiding yourself? And then he goes into this litany of woes. And he finally gets down to verse 14. He says, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And he starts to praise God. He starts praising and thanking God while he's still miserable. It's called the power of praise. It's called the discipline of thanksgiving. Even when things are going very, very badly. Psalm 13, he writes again, and he does this over and over again. I'm just going to read a few of them. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? You ever feel like this? Everything's going wrong, and where the heck is God? And my thoughts are driving me crazy. Yeah, that's, that's pretty normal. Even David, great David, says the very same things. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But then he starts to praise. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. See, that's the part we write the song of. <laughs> I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Lots of songs with that phrase. I will sing of the Lord because he's been good to me. Yeah, he's saying this when he feels like God is a million miles away. And he's crying, God, where are you? How long are you going to wait before you intervene in my situation? And even after just being honest with God, he knows he can't stay there. And he pulls himself out and he puts into practice the discipline of praise. And thanksgiving, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. In Exodus, the 17th chapter, an interesting account. It's a small little account, but uh, some great analogies here. It's verse 8, it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses says to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua goes to battle. He fights the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. They're hanging out at the top of the hill. And it says as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now it doesn't say how long this went on or who it finally dawned on. <laughs> at some point, it dawns on somebody. Are you seeing this? <laughs> Every time his hands go up, which is a sign of praise and thanksgiving to God. Even in the midst of the battle, they were winning. But when his hands came down, the enemy would start winning. Well, 
Aaron and her finally put two and two together. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put, him, put it under him, and he sat on it, and then Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Why was that happening right then and there? I don't know. It's the only place that we have a record of that anything like that happened. You know, God just does what God does. But it's a great analogy of keeping your hands up and praising and thanking God. So, well, Pastor, I, I don't feel I can do it anymore. Well, that's when you let other people hold your hand and lift you up and encourage you. And it's very powerful. You know, Deb and I have been going through a very difficult time. And I got to tell you, there's days where I, I, I don't think I can even pray. Just to be honest with you, I just overwhelmed with the struggles and the grief. But you know, I celebrate because I know and I can feel people holding our hands up because they're praying for us, which is a great thing. Let people pray for you. Let people encourage you. It's hard to do, though, if you never talk to anybody about what's going on in your life. It's the purpose of church, why you want to connect with people and share with people, have people who can pray for you and encourage you because you want the power of praise to be working for you. This is throughout the Bible. Thessalonians, First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Why would he have to tell him to do that? Because this takes discipline. It takes discipline. That's one of the great things about making yourself get out of bed, get out of your jammies, and go to church. Because it's easy not to go to church. And if you go to church, it's a bit of an effort. Yeah, it's called a discipline. You know? And, you know, the weather's just starting to change here in Wisconsin. <laughs> it won't be long. People always ask me, how many people go to your church? I said, it depends on the weather. Because when it's good, they don't want to come to church. The good news is we live in Green Bay, and the weather's usually bad. But it's really a sad indictment on us. I mean, really? Because the weather's nice, you're just going to do something? Well, yeah, I'd rather, I'm sure you would rather. That's the whole point of discipline. You discipline yourself. You put God first. You say, I'm going to get together and I'm going to praise God and celebrate God so that I can keep the blessings of God flowing into my life. You don't want to just wait till the armies are attacking you, by the way. You want to make this a habit. Now, if you find it difficult to thank God in the midst of your current circumstances, and, and that's easy to do, especially when it's just overwhelming and horrible, well, one of the best things you can do is to start thanking God by remembering what he has done for you in previous circumstances. And this will really help some of you because when things are really going badly and everything's clouding in and crashing in around you and all you keep getting is one bad report after another bad report and it seems like God isn't answering your prayers at all. Some of the best things you can do to get into the spirit of, and the discipline of thanksgiving is to get before the Lord talk to God and start thanking him for the things he has already done in your life and reflect on the answers to prayers 
that you've had and the blessings that you've experienced. Some of you, just the fact that you're in church today is a miracle. Some of you are really bad. <laughs> and just, if nothing else, that's the miracle. Thank you, God, I'm not what I was. I've been changed by the love of Christ. Thank you, I'm no longer filled with the bitterness and hatred that I had in me. and I'm no longer not addicted to alcohol and all the things that were destroying my life. You can start at so many places just looking back and thanking God for what he already did. This will put you in a place of faith where you can enter the discipline of giving thanks to God. In fact, in the opening account that we read with Jehoshaphat, I want to back up and read this again. When everything first started going wrong and he's praying, he says in verse 7, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What's he doing? He's reflecting back on what they know God had already done. Sometimes it's hard to get in a place of thinking, what's God going to do next? Because the circumstances are screaming at you and fear is screaming in your ear and your mind is blitzing out. Well, do what a lot of these guys, oftentimes when they would enter in prayer, one of the first things they would do is start thanking God for what he had already done. And looking back and reflecting on that helped them get into a place where they could enter praise and thanksgiving because they separate for a moment from their current circumstances and they get into a spirit of thanksgiving and praise and they enter this discipline. And you will find it's much easier as they do to then swing right into your current situation and start thanking God in the midst of the troubles that you're facing now and to trust him to turn these things about. Back to the Psalms. Psalm 18, David speaking again, talking about his miserable condition. And he says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord. It's past tense now. What's he doing? He starts to remind himself of what God had done for him before. Why would you do this? It helps to build up your faith. Because sometimes the current circumstances are so loud, so intense, so overwhelming, it's hard to enter into a place of faith and praise. Well, again, back up. What has God already done for you? I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave were coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me in my distress. I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry became, came before him into his ears. And he starts to change his perspective. He eventually gets to verse 46. He says, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be, the God, be God my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies, who exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will, present tense now, sing 
the praises of your name. He gives his great king great victories. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. Again, there's great power in praise. But oftentimes you have to stop and reflect back before you can bring it into the present. It's a normal thing to do. Uh, <laughs> some years, I've shared these stories sometimes, but uh, I don't know how many of you remember them, but <clears throat> some years ago, uh, I was in a, had this little music thing that I was doing. It was a, it was a two-piece band. It's back when all the synthesizers first came out. You know, I was a one-man one dancing monkey, you know, with all these keyboards. And, and I had a drummer, and, and we, we'd go and do these gigs in this... <clears throat> I can't remember where some not a circus, what do you call it? A fair. Dee 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 dee. It was a fair where uh, they were having Christian bands come in and they wanted us. So I came in and we played and stuff like that. And uh, so, um, but at this time, I had all this equipment because I, I wasn't in ministry at the time. I had my own recording studio and I would record these jingles for radio and television commercials. That's how I made my living. Okay, and, and I had all this equipment. I took these, this equipment on the, on the gigs with me. Well, anyway, the next day we got all loaded up and uh, we had rented a U-Haul, uh, but it was a, it was a small U-Haul, you know, the, the trailer's like this, um, the truck is like this wide, the trailer's like this wide, so it's hard to see it unless you really lean, you know, in the mirror and turn a little bit to see where the trailer is. And the back of the truck was all filled with equipment, so you really couldn't see the trailer. But we're driving and we're just cruising right along. We get to, we're coming out of Indiana, going into Chicago, and everybody in Chicago drives like a bat out of hell. You know, I mean, it's crazy. you drive the speed limit over there, they're going to run you over. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why they don't slow these people down, but it's like, just going, you know, 75, and, just to keep up with everything. So we get to the other side of Chicago. And I'm driving along, and the guy's with me. He's sitting there, he goes, can you see the trailer? I said, what? Can you see the trailer? Oh, yeah, man, I can see the trailer. I don't know, it's hard to see. I don't he said, man, I haven't seen the trailer in a while. <laughs> oh, come on, man. So we pulled over, and we got out of the truck, and we came back. Ah, there's no trailer. It was gone. Completely, totally gone. I think, well, how? What did it have those, you know, chain thingamajiggies tied to it? And he says, well, it was a brand new truck. I didn't want the chains to scratch up my truck. <laughs> so I go back there. There's no trailer. There's not even a ball on the thing. It's just gone. It doesn't exist. Well, all I can think of is, oh, my Lord, I've just killed hundreds of people. It's going down the highway, and that trailer comes down, and it was nervous, crashing. I'm just going, not paying attention. I figure there's all-point bulletins for crazy Puerto Rican driving a pickup truck. So right there was a police, you know, right at that, we stopped right at this exit, and there was the, the state patrol. We went to the state patrol, and I told him what had happened. I said, man, I think I left the trailer. Were any crashes? He says, no, there's no crashes. So did anybody report seeing a trailer? <laughs> Nobody saw the trailer. I mean, nothing. No, we back and we went, we traced our way all the way back to where we started. There was no sign of a trailer anywhere. Now, this is all my equipment is in there. This is how I make a living. I freaked. And fear rushed into my heart like there was no tomorrow. And I remember standing there just feeling so overwhelmed that all I could do was stop and think about other times that God had answered our prayers.
And other times God had showed up. And I just started reminding God <laughs> as if he needed to be reminded. Lord, remember when you did this. Remember. And I'm telling you, it was a discipline. You force yourself to do it. And, and right in the middle, all of a sudden, it's like just peace totally fell over me. And I just knew it would be okay. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. Did someone show up with the trailer? No. We just hopped in the truck and we drove all the way back home, central Wisconsin. Oh, man. So we got out of the truck. And as soon as I walked in the house, my wife comes running out. Some guys just called. They said they got your trailer. Yeah, she says, they're, they're keeping it for hostage. That's a hostage or something. I said, what? Yeah, they said they want a bunch of money. They're not going to tell you where it is. I said, you kidding me? Yeah, they said they were following you. And all of a sudden, the trailer just popped off the van. You were going really fast. And this trailer just goes, and it never flipped over. It just kept riding. And then it went down into the grass and people's yawns and just kept going, and it just parked right on the side of the road. I can imagine some angels going, Well, we opened that trailer. We saw all that expensive equipment in there. I said, you got to give us 2,000 bucks or we're not going to give it back to you. They stole the trailer. Those little rats. So, Okay. Long story short, I'm trying to give the whole story. But uh, we hook up with the police department in Chicago. We do this little raid thing where these guys show up with the trailer. And when the cops start to hand them the money, all the cops come in with guns and they grab these guys and threw them in the back of their vans, you know, and arrested them and stuff like that. But anyway, I got every bit of it back, every single thing. I didn't miss a single lick of a thing. And it was, a, I wish I had time for the funny story because it's very funny. But it was quite a miraculous thing. And now I remind God about that time. Are you hearing me? Because when you're going through it, it's hard to see anything. But if you just reflect back on the times, God, you'll find that faith will rise up in you. Peace will come. And as these people did, just like when that army was going to battle, they put this discipline of praise and thanksgiving into their life. It calms the mind. It soothes the soul. And he can try and get to a place of faith so that God can show up. I would love to tell you it's easy. It's not easy. It's a discipline. All these other things we're talking about, it's something that you do on purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord, to understand these disciplines that we're trying to emphasize during the season of Lent. Uh, there's not tons of them, but there's enough fundamental disciplines that we as Christians need to employ in our lives if we're going to be successful in our faith. These things do not come easily, but it's not complicated. We just need to focus and be intentional. And Lord, help us to, during this time of Lent, as we're struggling and facing the things that are coming this year, to always remember to enter into the discipline of praise and thanksgiving, especially when we're facing tough circumstances, especially when, as David wrote, God, why are you hiding from me? Where are you? And in those times, to do as he did and begin to celebrate you, reflect on your glorious answers in our past, and know that you will always be there for us, because you're not just the God of the past, you're the God of the present. You're eternal. We thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to learn these truths, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.